RadioInfluence.com. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Dark Delight Podcast with Pump Day Val and Beans. Before we start, I want to remind everybody where they can find us separately. Frank, you go first. Oh, quite frankly, TV. That's where you have me. I'm live every every weeknight at 7 p.m. And all your viewing options are right there, including right there on the, uh, the website. Yeah, you've got plenty, too. I, there's plenty of options, but like I said, there's a native option right there powered by Foxhole. So that's and it's an independent platform. So you'll never have to worry about that leaving us for political reasons. There might be some technical hiccups from time to time, but still. Yeah. You know what? You're willing to toss the coin on that stuff sometimes. You got to. Yeah. You got to. It's it. Oh, feels yep. good. Yeah. And um, you can find us over at UncoverDC.com. Make sure you also uh, subscribe to our Locals community, UncoverDC.Locals.com, to help support us. There's also support stuff on the website. Would be really helpful. Um, I think for both of us, you've got your Patreon up there. And, uh, well, su- subscribe, Star, and through the website directly. Patreon's still there, but I try, to, I try to mention it less and less. Okay, good. Because they kicked me off. <laughs> yeah, and I just don't know when the, the last thing I want to do is push more people toward there and my day come and oh, yeah. it'll hurt, it'll hurt one way or another, but I'm just trying to not emphasize it. Okay, fair enough. All right, good. So now that we got that out of the way, there's a ton of stuff. Yesterday was primary day in a whole bunch of states, Frank. I saw that, although I don't know anything, any of the stakes. I don't know anything. Oh, gosh. So yesterday we had Arizona... Kansas, Michigan, Missouri, and Washington. Okay. Now in Michigan, I'm going to talk in Michigan first because I, I happen to personally know and have shared conversation with on a personal level, Tudor Dixon, who was endorsed by Trump just this weekend in like one of the most beautiful endorsements I've ever seen that knowing Tudor is a hundred percent correct. Um, He said this, the great state of Michigan is being destroyed by the radical left Democrats. Governor Gretchen Whitmer is the queen of lockdowns, except for her husband. School closures. And he goes on and on. He goes, it's time for a big change and a big comeback. When I met Tudor Dixon, she was not well known, but I could tell she had something very special. It was a quality that few others have. She delivered a powerful speech on how she would lead Michigan, fight for election integrity, turn around the economy and protect the future of Michigan for every child. Then after recognizing her during my rally speech in April, her campaign took off like a rocket ship. The great people of Michigan got it just like I did. Tudor Dixon is a conservative warrior who built an impressive career in the steel industry while working with her fabulous father, who is now watching her proudly from above. She raised a beautiful family and is ready to save Michigan. She's pro-God, pro-gun and pro-freedom, and she won't be stopped. She will stand up to the radical left as they try to indoctrinate our children and be ready to take on one of the worst governors in the nation. Um, he says something else about Whitmer and says Tudor Dixon will make a great governor and has my complete and total endorsement. She will not let you down. Um, and she won. She won. She won the primary. Yes, she will be taking on Gretchen Whitmer in uh, in November. Stretching Gretchen. Stretching Gretchen. And you know what? Honestly, there have been a lot of things going around about Tudor, like, I, you know, internal state politics stuff and drama and who's doing this and who's paid off by this and blah, blah, blah. But. I know Tudor from Real Voice America before it changed to Real America's Voice and all that stuff or whatever. And we did a bunch of interviews together. We've been at tons of events together. We've 
texted back and forth and talked to one another at length about life. And I know this woman. I know her. And I'm, I'm, I couldn't be prouder of her that she has done this. And I think she would be an absolutely amazing uh, governor for the state of Michigan. So there's that. Yes. I think a blind llama would be a great governor for the state of Michigan. <laughs> Come on, give her a little, a little more than that, Frank. Oh, I, 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 not taking anything. That, that wasn't a slight to her. I know, I know. <laughs> that was directed totally at Gretchen. <laughs> she won forty um, percent of the vote to her closest challengers, twenty-one point six. So she really, really blew it out of the water. Of course, there were only write-ins against Whitmer, so she won 100%. Actually, she only won 99.9% of the vote, which means that 0.1% of Democrats wrote someone else in. Um, So there was Michigan, for the most part. Then there was Arizona, Frank. I heard that there were shenanigans. That's the only thing I didn't know. Lots of shenanigans going on in Arizona, yeah. With with Sharpie Gates, again. With ballot, not enough ballots at polling places or at uh, voting places with, you know, ballots that are not being read properly by machines with all kinds of nonsense. And last night's race was someone you didn't really know until I kind of introduced you to her, Carrie Lake for governor. Mm -hmm. And then um, Mark Fincham, friend of the show, running for secretary of state. Um, And then attorney general, obviously, there was Bron, uh, there was. Bronovich was running was running for Senate. I'm sorry. Um, the attorney general spot is too early to call. They can't even pull it in. But Bronovich came in third. Blake Masters, who was Trump endorsed, took first place. Carrie Lake, at the very end of the night, after being down, took it. I'm calling it for Carrie Lake. It looks like she won the primary um, by a few percentage points. But who was her main competition and what is their background? Um. I don't know. It says it still says it's too close to call, but she's winning by two percentage points. But I'm going to call it for her. Her name was Taylor Robson, and I didn't know anything about her at all. Who she married to? What's going on? I think she was the GOP candidate, the GOP establishment candidate, Robson. Hmm. And Lake Lake was the Trump endorsed candidate. And Carrie Lake was that former uh, journalist who left because she couldn't take how COVID was being covered anymore. And she yes, couldn't. Yes. Yeah. So that happened. Senate, again, it was Masters, Blake Masters for Senate. Um, and then uh, the what I consider is going to be one of the biggest showdowns and serendipitous in and of itself is Mark Fincham, who, who left his or, you know, ran for secretary of state in um, in Arizona. And you know who's. Also running for Secretary of State in Arizona, Adrian Fontes. Now, Adrian Adrian Fontes was the guy who was running Maricopa County's elections in 2020. So then that's so now it's Fincham who basically destroyed um, his work. Right. Running against him in the general for Secretary of State, which is the position that controls this stuff in Arizona. Boy. Yeah. You know, the thing I I guess the thing that is glaring when you see all of these razor thin races, especially in a place like Arizona, is you keep asking and reminding yourself, I should say, that nothing. Have they done anything significant in the state to fix up what was going on last time? Because it looks like there's still main. I see the main problem people are complaining about 
is that there is so much mail mailer problems, whether they showed up late or not at all. There yeah. wasn't enough. And I'm just like, oh, man, if this is the case, then it's really true. In 2020, when they, they, they started messaging this all over the country, that we need to stop looking at election night as one night where everything can be wrapped up in one night. It's not going to be that way anymore. They're, they're, they, they've really transformed the way that we look at elections forever. So in Arizona this year, like this election, with all the issues that they had, all of the basically all of the mail in votes were counted by Election Day. And then all of the nine, I would say Carrie Lake was saying it all night that like 90 percent of her votes came in 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 in-person voting so there are still republicans doing mail-in balloting there are and i think that that's i i don't don't know i don't know Um, until they outlaw it completely which they've done in some places again i'll put the article wendy just wrote in the show notes we had another one um updating like the the different things that we had done i i think you used that one on your show i could swear you did anyway yeah well I, i i referenced part one and part two yeah so um, it's just one of those things, man. I, I I can't I can't believe that we're talking about something other than uh, absentee ballots still. Yeah, I know. So, the, I mean, they, they've been around for generations and they're ta- all you need to do is have a little gumption. You want to vote. Go I'm to- not going to be able to make it there that night. You could, I mean, that's just all it is. Like for so, me, me, for example, it, if things go the way I think they will, we're going to be doing another election night special in November, like we did for the 2020 election. I'm not going to be here to vote on election day because I will be in Arizona. So I'm going to have to do an absentee ballot. How do you think that I I will deliver my absentee ballot in person? I won't mail it. Either way, mailing it, that's fine. The whole thing is the verification with absentee ballots. It's just, it's, it's a verifiable way of getting something in, if you're going to be away or indisposed in some way, it's been around forever, and it's and it's it's actually a pretty secure system. I've talked to a couple of people about it, but it's different from what they have flooded the country with in yes. the last two years. Sending hundreds of ballots to like blanket residences. Don't mind the sawing in the background, guys. Sorry. Um, sending blanket, you know, ballots to to like people that are dead, and you know, like Catherine. Right. Engelbrecht always says it, it, it it's be, a lot of it comes down to the, the dirty rolls, because if they don't have that person's name on the rolls to send to if they're dead or moved or whatever, then they can't send the ballot. So but yeah, the, I don't know enough about the other states that um, had primary. I know that there was a a ballot kind of like referendum in Kansas to um, outlaw abortion and it failed. So in Kansas, of all places. It failed. There was a ballot measure for abortion there. Um, Kansas wasn't able. Well, if Kansas wasn't able to. That's weird, right? This is how the Democrats are going to go around now trying to get things accomplished with referendums on the ballot. Yeah. Imagine that. Flood the vote for, with refer- random referendums yep. in states. Yep. That, that's something that, that would uh, barely make headlines. Well, we heard, we heard about it. Yeah, but, but still, still, it was a big topic. It wasn't like. Like we had a couple of them on our ballot in South Carolina that really weren't national newsworthy, but this one obviously was. Um, obviously, Rand Paul won his primary. Thank goodness. Um, there was Michigan, Missouri. I, I just, I please, if you live in these states, forgive me. I did not follow these elections close enough to have 
uh, enough of an opinion to speak about them intelligently. So I'm skipping by that. Um, separately, there's a bunch of other things I wanted to chat about. One, obviously, last night or yesterday afternoon, Project Veritas dumped another one of these unclassified um, threat memos, I guess they are, or booklets or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was it was basically declaring everybody a domestic terrorist. It's 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 pretty much everybody. You know, I have a Betsy Ross flag in my broadcast studio. Well, you're you're I mean, you're just the worst of the worst. That's the the fact that it has been generalized to that degree. Yeah. So I, ha- I, ha- I have a Gaston flag and a uh a Betsy Ross flag in the studio in different rooms. So the Gadsden flag has always been on there. Um, Did you see, though, what Ron DeSantis just released, a Gadsden flag license plate for Florida? No. Yeah, that came out like two days ago uh, before this. There's like a special Gadsden flag license plate for Florida that you can get now. So I guess everybody in Florida who then puts that on their car is now automatically a a, a, a militia violent extremist, as per mm. the FBI. Um, this is the the Federal Bureau of Investigation Domestic Terrorism Symbols Guide. So yeah, the Betsy Ross flag, all kinds of other stuff is on there. Um, it just it's ridiculous, and I think you know a whistleblower came forward with this to Project Veritas and provided it. And there's debate like whether or not this is to chill people, to scare them, to let them know what the FBI is really doing behind the scenes or the opposite, because people are just sick and tired of it. Because by this, even though they clarify in here, the the use of this alone does not make somebody blah, blah, blah. Like they've literally criminalized in their own minds language that pertains to the Constitution and the Second Amendment separately and together. Yeah, well, well, did you, you you've read Merrick Garland? You read what he was since what he was saying. No, tell me what he said. I, I haven't. Well, in in regard to Idaho, this is all this is all really well tied together, especially since what the FBI and DOJ collectively are doing to target everybody. But what what uh, Merrick Garland came out and said yesterday was that he's filed a lawsuit against the state of Idaho because they had a referendum out for uh for a vote that would be a near ban on abortion and he is making the the the, first of all he completely flips what the he flips the entire federal supremacy clause on its head um and he he just talks wrongly about everything just so blatantly it's such a basic american civic uh situation uh in a concept that he just lies just completely lies. And hey, let me let me see if I can I can bring it up. It was um, hold on. There, uh, there's no consequences for lying if you're Merrick Garland or any other person. That's in no, favor. not not at all. There's no consequence what what whatsoever. But no. he's they're suing Idaho because they're saying that it is in violation of EMTALA, E-M-T-A-L-A, emergency something. Hold on. Uh, is this them trying to conflate ectopic pregnancy again or like a pregnancy that endangers the life of the mother with with abortion again? Uh, yeah, well, yeah. kind of, kind of, because he doesn't even go into that that detail. And now I can't find it. Um, pretty much this is the way that they're trying to fight the battle now is by saying, well, if if these states receive any kind of federal money, for 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 any one of these medical um, programs that are all illegal, 
that are all illegal. You cannot find the enumerated power that that uh, that uh, authorizes the federal government to deal in any kind of uh, health care, whether they be Viagra or tampons or abortion. It's not there for whatever the hell your 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 thing is. So he's saying once again, this bribery of, well, we gave you money. Now you do what we want. See, this he, this is why this is why. We have to get the federal government out of giving dollars to states for health care. Well, the state, well, it's it, it's not about trying to convince a a tyrannical group of, you know, psycho gangsters to back away. It's a matter of states like Idaho and Kansas and everybody else to get their their states in order and figure out how they can survive and maintain order and stability inside their state without federal money mm-hmm. so that they can then say, go to hell. Yeah. Because it is their right to say, go to hell. Um, that, that's that's what's, what's happening here. But Merrick Garland is now starting to ready the lawsuits be, uh, on this basis. And he had the nerve of saying that uh, it, the, the supremacy clause or the supremacy situation with the federal government is clear. Uh, these state governments do not have anything they can do over the power of the federal government if they if they act in contradiction to a federal law. But the law is void. It's not illegal. It's not legal. Uh, this 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 is what our DOJ is, is focused on. Yeah. Uh, suing states over their citizens choice. Uh, this is it's just it, God, I can't wait for these people to leave. And be hopefully held accountable one day in my dreams at some point, maybe. Gosh. So great. Outside of the domestic terrorism stuff, there's that. And, you know, uh, Adam sent me an article that came out a few days ago on the 12, not really a few days ago, on the 22nd from Axios, a radical plan for Trump's second term. And it starts, former President Trump's top allies are preparing to radically reshape the federal government if he's reelected purging potentially thousands of civil servants and filling career posts with loyalists to him and his America first ideology. And it basically says they intend to stack thousands of mid-level staff jobs um, based on this executive order that he signed before he left office called creating schedule F in the accepted service, which basically establishes a new category for federal employees. Um, He'll put that back into place and reassigning these groups of employees to schedule F would allow them to be fired. Remember this was happening during the shutdown Mm -hmm. where Trump was like, people were anonymously writing in saying these people are wastes of American taxpayer dollars. We don't need them, but we can't fire them because of X, Y, and Z. So instead we're just changing all of our job roles and responsibilities to phase them out. Yeah. So it says here. And and, and even so the schedule F uh, designation would only get, would only put about 50,000 people out of the 2 million that are employed by the federal government on the chopping block if if need be. I mean, it's a, it's a significant number, but damn. But yeah, I, I read this article. I, I love the freaking out. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, this is just a, you'd better, you know, like Adam said to me last night, this is like you'd better not let him get in there again. Because from the looks of this article, which I'll put in the show notes for everybody, he will, it, if this is true, which they say they spoke to dozens of people close to Trump. How many? There, there are different reasons so, for that, if they actually did. I once stood next to Trump. Do you want to interview me? Yeah, yeah. 
I had a cardboard cutout of Trump in my house. Do you want me to tell you what I think he's thinking? Like, that was my favorite one. People familiar with his thinking said. Um, but it, it looks like he's going to literally gut the federal government, including the DOJ and the FBI and, and, and everything else. And, and do we were we were throwing this around either Ka- Cash Patel for FBI director or attorney general. Can you imagine? Oh, yeah. Could you imagine? Oh, my gosh. I, I would sleep better at night with him at the helm. I really would. Um, speaking of which, everybody's on social media. This is got I should play a siren unpopular opinion alert right now. But everybody is on social media talking about how John Durham um, filed to litigate the Danchenko case himself and what that might mean. What the, what will what does that might mean? So, so there's a gazillion different things it might mean, and all of them are 50 50. So, like, I will go into the saying, I don't know. I could be wrong. You know, people who are disagreeing with me could be wrong. First of all, we'll start. They they he asked for, I think, something like 30 subpoenas and the judge has to provide them and they're blank. They're basically blank. And he can use them all. Use one. Use five. He just asks for a bunch so he doesn't have to go back and ask for more. Right. So people are saying like, oh, that's 30 of them. And blah, blah. That, that that doesn't matter. Like, honestly, he could use 30. Yes. Or he could use two. There's no there's no rhyme or reason to the number. Like like you don't go crazy about the number. So there was that. And then he files this. And then also Igor Janchenko filed a document invoking SIPA, meaning he wants to use classified information at, at in his case. And he needs permission to do that. And the government will go back and forth with him and argue about whether or not he can use it. And mm. it doesn't mean that this classified information all of, a, all of a sudden becomes unclassified for the world. That's not what this means. And it doesn't mean that just because it's classified, he can't use it. Because if there's exculpatory information for him in his defense that happens to be classified, obviously, barring that from being used in his defense would be completely prejudicial to any defendant who comes forward against the government in any case. Oh, you can't use that in your defense. It's classified. They'll classify a, a, a chicken scratch on a freaking napkin if that's the case. So, okay. so all of those analyses need to be looked at very closely. But... This is what I think is going on with Durham. He lost Sussman. Durham had never lost before, I don't believe, before Sussman, ever. He lost Sussman, and this is it, in my opinion. Danchenko's it. He laid out this big conspiracy in the Sussman case, where even the judge was like, well, you're clearly laying out this big conspiracy. Why aren't you charging any of these people? This is a 1001 case with Sussman. You're not you're not going to litigate a conspiracy case in front of the jury on a defendant who's not even really part quote. He's part of it, but that's not what you're charging him with. Charge these people with conspiracy and bring the case to trial. So Mm. he basically used the Sussman case to get this information out on the record. And so in the Durham is going to take it all camp. The people are saying, well, that's because he was setting the stage and he's going to, you know, charge this person and, you know, all these people and blah, blah, blah. And my opinion is no, 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 no. He needed to get this stuff out onto the record to 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 dangle a carrot and a stick and get it on the record because it was one of the most heinous things that had ever happened. But he's litigating the Danchenko case because he needs to win to save his reputation. And he doesn't feel confident that the rest of these guys will do it. So he's making sure he spearheads this one because it's the last one and he wants a W. Hmm. 
Oh, I, hey, I, I mean, I'll just keep praying. I just don't see him. I don't see him charging a, another person if he hasn't done it by now. Let me see when this dang cha- it, I think it's coming up, the case. It's not far. It's it's a few months at most. Um, I, I just don't see. I don't see. Oops. I don't see. I, I don't see any other. Like, looking at what's in front of me. And, oh, my gosh, I said this on Telegram last night. And, wow. God forbid you say anything other than John Durham is going to arrest and jail everybody. Like, if I'm wrong, I'm happy. And I'm happy to say that I'm not 100%. I don't know for sure. Like, I have a problem with these people that are going out, like, declaring that they know what John Durham is going to do because they're setting a bunch of people who want to hope for something, if they're wrong, up for, like, the documents don't bear it out. Nothing that he's doing bears out this massive influx of of charges against, um, you know, James Comey and Peter Strzok and Lisa Page and Mark Elias and, you know, all these people. Just It just doesn't. Where do you see that, Frank? I mean, I, it doesn't change anything for me. I, I'm, I, I don't know. I just, this is, I feel like I feel like I'm hungover when it comes to to, to this stuff, uh, especially when all this is going on. Where this, this is all DC, right? Yeah, it's all. Yeah. I just, I, I, I don't know. I, look, I said I asked. Cash was on the show. He he feels confident that there's going to be big bombs going off everywhere, but I just I just don't. I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it. And the, and again, here, let's see. Who's the judge? I, I think it's Trenga. That's good. Trenga's a good judge. Okay? We'll just say that. And I think this is in Virginia, if I'm not mistaken. No? Is it D.C.? You know, Adam's sitting there right now. Like, <laughs> hold on a second. So, so Trenga's in Virginia. So there's a little bit more hope in Virginia. Just a little bit. Um, I don't know. I'm looking at the case. There's a, there was a status conference a couple of days ago. Um, there's a motion to extend a deadline. I, I, we'll see. We'll see. That's all I'm going to say. Hmm. Um, so you had mentioned while I was looking for to make sure I was right about Virginia. Uh, Alex Jones's case. Yes. Yes. I, I have. Uh, I have not. I have not been. I mean, I'm just starting to see these these clips coming in now. I, I've seen. The headlines uh, and the headlines, of course, are, are indicative in them in themselves, because depending on who's writing them, and it's mostly all leftist uh, pro-establishment freaks, the headlines are the most important thing for their readers. Yep. That's just these, these little injections of information and opinions for uh, the, you know, the average lollipop sucker. So I just... From what I'm, I'm gathering there, he's just he's just getting abused. Yes, he is. Yeah. And you know who's done a lot of work on this and has been following it the whole time and is really giving good commentary on it? Um, Robert Barnes. And I okay. haven't sat to listen to his Alex Jones coverage in detail, even though it's been sent to me. And I, I just haven't had the time to sit. I want to cover this case. I want to talk about it because apparently... Alex Jones has been like basically barred from defending himself. Like he's being treated absolutely terribly. He can't defend himself. There was an, a moment yesterday in court that's on Citizen Free Press where he's actually interacting with some of the family members of the Sandy Hook people. And he's very graciously shaking their hands and their attorneys run over and like stop them from talking. Don't be friends. Yeah. 
you know, you can't have anybody see this. You, you know, he, he's, he's gonna, he's gonna, there's no, I, I, I would be stunned if he isn't, um, found, you know, he doesn't lose this and, and be for, forced to, to fork over hundreds of millions of dollars. But this is what I don't understand. I'm still trying to, is this really just about putting the first amendment on trial? Because no, no matter how egregious you opine or theorize or dare I say even fantasize about what happened in in one uh, in one event or another, whether it be a tragedy or a triumph, their words. He's I mean, wait. I don't their words it. that the people in this case are arguing harmed them how? to such an extent because they started getting death threats from people. People started threatening them when they were grieving the, the loss of their child. Like he argues that the re- they argue that the reach that Alex Jones had to say that they were crisis actors and they weren't real and they didn't really lose family members and whatever weaponized his audience against them to the point of like utter and total harassment. So well, not that's all- not that's I don't that's not nice. Obviously, that's horrible. That's somebody, especially you- if they're if they're grieving, would have to have to then deal with that. But but isn't there? But once again, is there not? I don't know. How do they draw the line between Alex Jones's or anybody's opinion and the inability for a person, another free person who is mutually exclusive from Alex Jones? Yep. It's not like Alex Jones's right hand went to war and the left hand did nothing. And it's just all part of the same body. It's just that can't no matter how shitty this is for families and even for Jones, because a lot of us say things that we, we, you know, did, I mean, a lot less extreme things that time goes by says, I wish I could have said that different or not at all. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I walk out of the studio at night saying if I could have just not done that segment or gone on that rant, I'd feel a lot better about myself tonight. I think it would have been a lot better show if I had done this or that. So it's just, how do you, how do you draw a line between that? Because he's not responsible for anybody out there. Why the hell is Bernie Sanders not on trial for the guy that wanted to kill all the Republicans at the softball game? Exactly. Like, I don't, I have not read the documents in the case. I am not familiar enough with it to, to make an argument either for or against at this point. But like some part of you has to think like I've been on the receiving end of somebody with a very large following saying something absolutely completely false about me. And then having to deal with the onslaught of of just complete ridiculous attack because of that thing. Um, never would I ever consider suing the person who said it because of the reasons you're saying. Yeah. Although there is that that's defamation, Frank. I mean, that is defamation in its pure form. The bar is a lot higher for defamation when you are considered a public figure. So if somebody were to come out and say those very same things about Alex Jones, he would have a very hard time winning a defamation case against somebody on that because he's considered a public figure and the bar is just way higher. That's why everybody always asks, why don't you sue them? Why don't you sue them? First of all, it costs tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars. And the chances that you'll win are literally next to nothing. However, if you are not a public figure like these people weren't or his attorneys could argue became public figures because of the high profile nature of the heinous act that happened. It gets very like it's a very important case in that way. And I'm sure 
that, you know, Barnes is probably saying like he can't defend himself. He's not allowed to offer up any evidence to show anything. He's getting railroaded. It's an Austin court. Um, you know, I- I'm with you. I understand what you're saying. hundred percent. I think it would be better if people just stopped for a minute and stopped acting like complete effing morons and just used some mon- like little bit of respect when dealing with other human beings. Well, the, these parents, they have to know that, yeah, there is the original, there's the original situation of you have Alex Jones, you have a broadcaster with a very large reach that went and had this take, this take, a hurtful take on, uh, on, on a situation in which their, their family died. And then you have, you have to understand, I wish that they were, they could be made to understand that they have been pushed and encouraged to go this far because the people who really see Alex Jones as a threat or people like him as a threat want to use them as pawns. puppets, yeah, pawns, puppets, weapons. Yep. You know, they've they've also their their grief has all also been weaponized for much, much more powerful and much more uh, rich and wealthy corporate interests that want to see independent media killed. They want they want the arena in which people could test out these controversial and sometimes, uh, you know, I mean, harmful ideas. You know, it, it can be it can be harmful to a person like Alex Jones. I would have to imagine he'd admit that his um, his um, his rants on this, his initial rants on all this stuff ended up doing him harm. You, what, you, what, you know, you know, you also have to have like I feel like a very big responsibility to do it the right way and make sure I'm right before I say something, because if I'm wrong to and, and you know, listen, in my opinion, I don't even know what the, the jury's um, not the actual jury, but in public opinion wise, people have followed the Sandy Hook story. I didn't follow it close enough to know whether or not any of the things were remotely plausible that he had said. I, well, I don't the, the initial that everybody's everybody at least is trying to characterize this is that the entire thing was a hoax. Um, I know people. I have family that live in Newtown, Newtown, Sandy Hook, that have been there for years, who know parents who lost children. In any of these, in any of these situations, there, there are eggs that are cracked to make an omelet. Okay, even if there is something, and there are, there are actually a couple of very weird things that are unanswered and are very big, almost like Building Seven kind of questions mm. about what's going on. That does not take away the fact that people lost their lives. In fact, you need to crack those eggs to make any kind of an omelet. So I'm not even discrediting anybody who has a uh, who has questions that they want to have answered. But the characterization that everything from soup to nuts was fake is what is what they need to lean on in order to make this trial possible. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, I mean, you know what the problem is? The root cause of all of this is that they never tell us the truth about anything. Yeah. You know, that's who should be on trial right now. The people that lie to us about literally everything, everything. Otherwise, yeah. when the government came out and said, here's what happened and this is what we're doing to stop it or here's what happened and this is how we would believe it. Just look no further than Avoldi. The first, the, the Ovaldi, the first, the first stories out of there about the the valiant 
response of the first. Come on. If that one woman parent didn't continue to speak out against all odds, we would still be in the same situation where like we never get the truth about anything ever. Right. Right. I don't know. I'm, I'm looking to find these court documents. It's state court. So they make it very hard to find the documents to read. And I'm sure it's it's mounds and mounds of paper to read. But I, I want to know what the arguments are here for the reasons that you're you're specifying. And likely there'll be a verdict before that time comes. But there's that case. There was also another development in quotes in the Oath Keepers case. Um, Julie Kelly has been following it. Um, so I would go there for some of the more interesting points, like the defense for these guys. They're arguing that President Trump was somehow involved in them going down there and the government's arguing against it, which is interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Because the government's whole basis is that Donald Trump is responsible and now they're arguing in court that he isn't. Very interesting. But one of a few of the defendants had brought forth motions to dismiss the superseding indictment because there were three, two superseding indictments. The first one came out against them. Then the second one came out against them. Then the third one, which added Stuart Rhodes, came out against them. And there was a motion to dismiss on some of these because the government kept on peppering information that changed in part and parcel the original charges brought against these guys to such a degree that it was exculpatory in some cases. And the judge, of course, dismissed them all because they're on trial for seditious conspiracy, Frank. Mm. Seditious conspiracy. Mm -hmm. Because they had to have at least one. Otherwise, it just wouldn't be okay. Well, soon it's going to be a seditious conspiracy to um, to fly an American flag. Yes. Anyone who flies an American flag is absolutely a problem, as per this manual here. Also, don't say, um, don't say well-regulated American militia. Don't say when tyranny becomes law, rebellion becomes duty. Don't say we are everywhere and expect us and I will not comply. Don't say that. Don't ever say I will not comply. Very bad. Uh. Oh, um, the following individuals are martyrs. And by the way, Ka- Ashley Babbitt is is on there. She's a- I saw that she got martyr status from the from the, the government. Yeah. This is so much worse than the Mayak security reports. Remember that? Yep. Yep. What I want to do, because these leak all the time. It's unclassified. It's not like it's a classified document, but it is law enforcement sensitive. I want to go back and and compare this one to like the one that was leaked two years ago and two years before that and two years before that and just watch how how the the definitions have become looser and expanded and like all they are all encompassing. Now, if you are a conservative, proud American, you are now considered a violent extremist of some kind. Hmm. Yes, we are. So there's that. And then I just wanted to go through quick. I wrote that column I was talking about, about the uh, Grassley FBI whistleblowers. And there, I put together a timeline in there. And I wanted to go through it because it's, it's super interesting how they set this up. So Grassley and Johnson were like actually doing an, a real investigation into Burisma and Hunter Biden and stuff like that. And they're one of the only ones to ever do it officially mm-hmm. forget like the independent journalists out there and stuff like that, that are looking through the laptop. This was even outside the laptop. And so they needed to stop these guys because they were actually figuring stuff out. So they launched a plan 
And what they did was they had the media write stories about like anyone who had any credible information about Burisma, Biden, Biden. They were getting Russian disinformation. That's and then they would quote like anonymous intelligence officials who said that this is Russian disinformation being fed into the committees. And then a few a few weeks later, they had Pelosi come out and write a letter to the FBI asking for a defensive briefing for the entire uh, Senate and Congress or the entire um, Senate and Congress about foreign interference in our election, citing with a classified attachment to this letter, citing the post, the Washington Post and political stories that had come out as as reasons. And also the fact that there's here's this classified in- intelligence that the stuff coming in about Burisma is Russian disinformation. So the Russians are trying to interfere in our elections. Then, right. <laughs> then a, a couple of days later, people on the committee with Johnson and Grassley write, write a letter saying we need our own briefing from the FBI because this stuff is ridiculous. And we need to make sure that the FBI, we're not doing anything that, that runs afoul of, of, you know, we're not being taken for a ride. And Grassley and Johnson are like, we're using, we're not using the word of some KGB officer here. We're using internal government documents to figure this stuff out. Like Obama administration records. (laughs) So it's like, you're calling the Obama administration, Russian disinformation. Like, so they started pointing that out. Then um, they did that on the July 28th of 2020. And then on August 6th, of course, they get this briefing. And then they use the briefing to then further cement the Russian disinformation line because they say, well, they got this briefing, so it must be true. So then the press goes nuts with that stuff. And they're tarring and feathering Grassley and Johnson and saying how they're Russian agents and all kinds of BS. And Johnson writes this like, very lengthy open letter we talked about the other day, which I have now, which you, everybody has to read it. It's something else. Then they they released their first report, September 23rd, 2020. October 14th, 2020, the New York Times, uh, the New York Post publishes the laptop story. Um, and then five days later, all those intelligence officials come out and say how it's Russian disinformation. Mm. The whole thing is law is law. It's a launder. It's a laundering of a narrative. I know it's just it's incredible to see it filter through one group and one place and one outlet to another. And it's just it's it's incredible. It's like they made their own circulatory system. Yeah, the media is now obviously the 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 quote like like the legacy media, the standing media in this country that that, you know, I guess whoever watches the news or reads the news, most of those people is, are reading are literally an arm of the United States intelligence community used for propaganda, literally. But I laid it all out in here and it's, it's, it's pretty concise. I think, um, just looking at it on paper in front of you this way, it's like, it's so clear what they did and Grassley and Johnson were calling it out the whole time. So yeah, maybe these whistleblowers have just come forward with this information and probably a lot more because they also came forward with information that um, they tried to squelch the election integrity efforts also. And not only that, but they have testimony depositions that they took in their committees from senior officials in the Trump administration about whether or not Trump was firing people for certain reasons and what he was doing is this whole big 120 page report that they released 
where all of the things that these people have said counter everything coming out of the J6 committee. So among stories that Pat Cipollone is being subpoenaed in front of a grand jury that this freaking DOJ is now impaneled, apparently, to try and to try and Mm. indict Trump. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Yep. And that's and that's definitely the case. That's definitely what's going on. You saw I mean, there is a there's a zero hedge article. Forgot who they're like laid out plan A through plan F of how how they plan to or how they need to prevent Donald Trump from coming back into office. And obviously up there, plan one and two, A and B is all about that. Can we can you get them indicted? Can you legally disqualify him through some sort of a conviction or whatever the hell? It's obvious it's what they're doing here. It's obvious, though. I mean, that, that was the plan with Marjorie Taylor Greene and, yep. and Madison Cawthorn while he was still uh, relevant and around and all that stuff. They're, they they just have so little attractive qualities that the, the, the game plan is just funding referendums. Uh, secretly and DAs and and also trying to make sure that you can legally disqualify people from being an opponent. Here's a problem. Here's the problem that I see. While President Trump has endorsed a number of very good candidates, he has also endorsed a number of swamp creature rats. Okay, and and he had an opportunity here to really do his due diligence and take the time to carefully vet all of these people. And instead of doing that, and I can speak to it personally because I live in a state where he did this, he went to the swampiest of the swamp in the GOP and said, who do you want to win this seat? And I'll endorse them. And didn't look at anybody else in the field and just endorsed the people that will be fighting his clean sweep of the government should he be reelected. Like, if we had a Congress, because obviously his endorsement is, is an automatic primary win, right? Who knows what's going to happen in the general? So if he would have been very calculated and careful about his endorsements and had actual real human beings that were not bought and paid for and already corrupt and all this crap winning, we could have really fundamentally, because that's where it all falls down to is Congress and the Senate. Yeah. He could have really fundamentally changed the government. Well, no, I don't think anybody can fundamentally change the government. No, because if he cut, let's pretend we do a clean sweep of Congress. The only people in Congress at that point are real, honest Americans with integrity because they all stepped up to run this time around. They really did. Everyday citizens without a war chest stepped up to run for office. They had business experience. They had experience. what they what the, the Constitution was assuming would happen. Right. Mm. If he would have endorsed those people and had a clean sweep where even incumbents were replaced by these folks, he could have fundamentally reshaped Congress and the Senate to a point that if he brought forth a bill to disband the Department of Education, he would have been able to do it. Not that they can do that because that's just an appointment. Like, they could do it on their own, couldn't they? I, I believe so. If, they, if he wanted to get rid of the provisions in the NDAA that Louis Gohmert was screaming about with the FISA court using FISA warrants on January 6th, folks, they could do that. Yeah, if they had if they had the numbers. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. And I feel like it was a, a lot of people are going to be like, oh, no, he knows what he's doing. I, I, 
I just in my own experience, I know that that's not necessarily the case. So he had an opportunity here to fundamentally change the trajectory of this country moving forward. And I don't think he quite got there. So I think there still be opposition when he if he if he runs again and he wins, there will still be opposition to some of the more important things that should be done to really fix this thing the right way. Godspeed. Did you hear uh, Thomas Massey talking about the vaccine? No. I'm going to find it. And we'll end with that today. Who was he talking to? He, it was in a committee. Um, they were talking about the military. And they were talking about the military and um, their their dishonorable discharge from the military because of uh, because of the vaccine and not wanting to take the vaccine. Hold on. Before we play this clip, Frank is going to he's got an important phone call. He has to take. He wants to say goodbye to everyone. Yes, everybody. I just want to say goodbye. Thank you again for uh, having me on, Tracy. <laughs> and I am going to go I'll the, be uh, go do the call. I'll be I'll, I'll see you on, on uh, Friday. Yeah. Have a wonderful, wonderful night. <laughs> Talk to you all soon. And Tracy, finish up strong for all of us. Woo-hoo! I'll all do right. it. Bye bye. <laughs> OK, I've got this clip. We'll play this clip and then. I like the Louis Gohmert clip, too. So maybe we'll play that one and then we'll call it a day, folks. Here we go. And lady yields back. Seeks recognition. Our purpose is a gentleman from Kentucky seek recognition. I, I speak, seek to speak on the amendment. The gentleman's recognized. There's just a few things I want to correct in, in the story or examples that were just given. I think it's been dispelled that the vaccine prevents the spread of COVID. I mean, I don't know why we're still saying that. I mean, the CDC director has apologized for being wrong about that. Uh, the NIH directors said that he was wrong about that. Deborah Literally everybody, Deborah Burns. Come and yield. I, I will yield. Did Dr. Fauci admit that he was wrong about that as well yet? I, I believe they've all admitted that. No, well, no way. So uh, they got the vaccine and they got COVID. That yes, they've all enough. gotten COVID. The president himself is contagious right now, even though he's had four shots of the vaccine. And that is why he's staying away from people. So I I just take a little bit of issue that we are in a a congressional markup, still perpetuating this falsehood that was propagated by the, uh, the pharmaceutical companies that stood to profit by this. They knew it wasn't even true. Their, their tests with 50,000 people in the trials, were designed not to explicitly not show whether it did or didn't stop the spread of COVID. So I, I just offended that we're still perpetuating that myth when virtually everybody has admitted that was a myth. Now, that's not the end of it, people. OK, we're going to keep going on this because we have the time because I said so. There, there's more here. Thomas Massey goes on to talk about how the military is getting the emergency use authorization version of the Pfizer vaccine on the on the record here and not community. And I know we're about, I don't know, eight months ahead of the table on this ahead of the table. What does that even mean? We're eight months ahead of the game on this one. But here. And and the reason we need to acknowledge that is that is the myth that underlies the entire rationalization for kicking somebody out of the military for not taking the vaccine. Would the gentleman yield? I will yield to the gentleman from 
California. I can't wait for January 3rd, maybe the 4th, when one of our early HRs restores those men and women, those brave men and women who asked for and were denied their valid exemptions, and we restore them to full active duty, which, by the way, will unring the bell of any question of a general or other than honorable discharge. And I look forward to working with the gentleman on that. I look forward to that, too. They should all be reinstated. None of them should have been given anything less than an honorable discharge at all for this. And and while I've still got time on the clock, I have to mention that the Secretary of Defense issued a statement on August 24th saying that the vaccines that were required and that would be administered would be the FDA-approved vaccines and not a single dose of FDA-approved vaccine, a.k.a. Comirnaty, in the case of Pfizer, or Spikevax, in, in the case of Moderna. Not a single dose of that has been given to a single member of the military, as the Secretary of Defense specified. And it was his only legal way to require the vaccine for members of military was that it was FDA approved and that the doses that they would receive would be the FDA approved, legally distinct from the other vaccines that they were got, that they were received and also labeled as such, labeled appropriately. None of those vaccines have been given yet members, tens of thousands of members of the military have been kicked out for not taking that vaccine. Now we've published columns. Michelle's written geniusly, wonderfully, beautifully. We've published columns about how they have there have been leaked documents that we've obtained through various sources that show that they have now ordered those specially labeled vials to have in case someone says, I want the FDA approved version. But this is months and months and months into this thing. So thank you, Thomas Massey. And then there's a longer clip of uh, Louis Gohmert on the uh, FISA stuff, which I guess we'll skip because I have to keep this radio friendly. But I'll, I'll play it on Friday because that's worth listening to, too. While this little smarmy jerk from the FBI sits up there saying we can't answer those questions in the midst of ongoing investigations. Yeah, OK. But you can leak stuff to the press. And another story we'll cover on Friday is about um, my good friend Brandon Strzok. I have a lot to say about that, too. Anyway, you have been listening to the Wednesday edition of the Dark Delight podcast with Frank and Beans. You can hear us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 2.30 Eastern Time on TuneIn, Stitcher, Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and RadioInfluence.com. Please make sure to support Uncover DC. Head on over to UncoverDC.com slash support, or you can go to UncoverDC.locals.com to give us, a, give us a monthly or yearly membership and get all the extra perks that come along with it. Super, super awesome stuff. We will see you on Friday. I'm Jerry Petock, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out radioinfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, 
TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. Radio Influence.